Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The answer to doubt is to seek the truth, to weigh the evidence, to believe the facts, to trust God's word and his promises. Here is a place where the Christian faith is actually quite unique. Did you know the Christian faith welcomes its claims to be questioned? Now that's a unique thing because that cannot be said of other faiths. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his series, Jesus Encounters. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on John chapter 20, verses 19 through 29, as he examines an encounter between Jesus and the doubter. Now, here's Pastor Brian. If you were to look in Webster's Dictionary... You would, if if you're to look under the word skeptic, uh, you would find the definition. Then if you scroll down, you'll get to the synonyms. And one of the synonyms for skeptic is doubting Thomas. I thought that is funny. (laughs) Skeptic, what is the definition? And what is the synonym? Doubting Thomas. So I thought that, that it was funny, but I also have to say that I did not think it was really accurate. I didn't think it was a valid synonym because Thomas wasn't a skeptic in the way we often use the term today, especially the way we use it in reference to those who disbelieve religious claims. But when we look at Thomas, we see that not only was he a genuine believer who was you know, at this stage, uh, having limitations to his belief, but his personality seems to be such that he has no problem expressing himself when it comes to things that he doesn't get or deem plausible. So in other words, Thomas was the guy who, you know, if he didn't get something, he wasn't going to sit there and pretend like he did. You know how that is? Sometimes, you know, you're sitting in a class and you know, the teacher goes through the whole explanation. They say, does everybody get it? And you're sitting there. You have no idea what the teacher just said, but you're going, yep, I got it. Sure. Because, you know, you don't want to look dumb. But Thomas wasn't that guy. Thomas is like, of course I didn't get it. You know, wait, what are you talking about? That's his personality. And so with Thomas, rather than seeing him, like I said, as the skeptic, no, he's a believer, but he's struggling with unbelief, at this moment, like all of us do at times. So the reality is we all struggle with unbelief. And that's how we need to, first of all, understand Thomas. Now, he's commonly called Doubting Thomas. So we'll just take that and go with it here. What, what is it to doubt? What, is, what are we talking about? Well, It's important that we're clear on this because a lot of people feel like they have let God down because of doubt when in actuality, they are not so much doubting as being tempted to doubt. And there is a huge difference between the two things. Now, I say that because sometimes people walk around feeling like, uh, man, I am so condemned because I've doubted God in my mind. I just keep doubting over and over again. 
when in matter of fact, what, what is really happening is you're being tempted, you're being bombarded with temptation by the enemy to doubt. So there, there is the temptation to doubt. We need to recognize that. But then, of course, there, there is real doubt or unbelief, and there is obviously a real danger in real unbelief or doubt. You see, real doubt, if persisted in, can become true unbelief, and true unbelief always will lead to disobedience, and disobedience, if it's continued in, will always result in spiritual shipwreck. And so we, we do have to be aware that if we buy into the temptation to doubt, if we start acting upon those suggestions that come our way, if we embrace them and begin to live according to them, then we put ourselves in a very dangerous situation. But what is the answer to doubt? The answer to doubt is to seek the truth, to weigh the evidence, to believe the facts, to trust God's word and his promises. Now, I don't know if you realize this or not, but here is a place where the Christian faith is actually quite unique. Did you know the Christian faith welcomes challenges? Did you know the Christian faith allows for, gives room for honest doubt and allows its claims to be questioned? Now, that's a, that's a unique thing because that cannot be said of other faiths. You, in, in many cases, if not in most cases, you are not free to, to question or to challenge. You are, you know, the, the claims are stated and you are to simply believe them and you're not to question them at all. That's not the Christian faith. God said through the prophet Isaiah, he said, come, let us reason together. See, the beautiful thing about the Christian faith is the, you know, the, the claims are presented and somebody could say, well, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily see that. I don't, I, don't, I don't think that that's true. And God doesn't say, okay, I'm gonna strike you dead right now because you, dis, you, know, you disbelieved me. No, God says, well, hey, let's talk about it. That's what it means to reason together. And this is what you find consistently through the scriptures, that same thing that God said, let us come, let us reason together. This is how the apostles, the proclaimers of the gospel, this is how they went about their ministry. We read concerning the apostle Paul, for example, that he reasoned in the synagogues and marketplaces of Athens. Paul went into the synagogue. The synagogue, the people in the synagogue didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So Paul went in and he presented the case. And they responded back and said, no, no, we don't believe that because of this, that, and the other thing. Paul said, oh, no, well, let me tell you why you're wrong about that. But there was this, this reasoning. And the same thing took place in the marketplace. Paul eventually made his way to Mars Hill, which was the seat of philosophy in Athens at the time. And there he presented the case for Christ. And as we follow Paul's life and ministry, we see him reasoning with the Roman governors, Felix and Festus, and then we see him standing before King Agrippa. You see, the misconception that's out there is that Christians are people who they've just, you know, what, what you're called to do if you're going to become a Christian is you take a blind leap of faith. It's like you're leaping into the dark. 
And, you know, some, somebody has said it like this, you know, hey, if you want to be a Christian, you know, just check your brain at the door before you enter the church. No, that's not true of Christianity. It is true of other religions, though. It is true of the cults. You do check your brain at the door. You're not able to challenge. You're not able to question. You're not able to bring up why that possibly might not be right. But this is not the case with the Christian faith. You see, the gospel is based upon historical facts that can be searched out and verified in the same way as any other historical event. That's what the gospel is. Of course, people don't realize this and they make, you know, they, they make claims based on that kind of ignorance and they say, oh, well, you know, the gospels, they, they kind of see them as it's just some sort of mystical thing. But no, you, all you got to do is read the New Testament. You find that, wow, this is like a historical document. So eyewitness testimony, when it comes to the resurrection Eyewitness testimony is one of the evidences that the scriptures offer as proof of the resurrection. Now, there, there are many other evidences, and I'm, it's not even my purpose today really to go so much into an argument for the resurrection. But I do, I do want to just pause for a moment and touch on this one evidence, which is eyewitness testimony, because the text itself is bearing witness in that way, right? It's the, these are the eyewitness, the, the accounts here of the men who actually saw the resurrected Christ. So when it comes to eyewitness testimony, eyewitness t- testimony is really, that's the most powerful testimony that there is, right? In a court of law, at least if you have a righteous court, a just court, eyewitness accounts are going to be what in the end is going to swing the decision in it's going to go in the direction of the facts, or at least it should. And so if you get enough people that saw something happen and their testimony is credible, then you have to conclude that this happened. Well, this is what we have in the pages of the New Testament. We have all of these eyewitnesses. We have the 11 apostles. We have the 120 a number that of those who saw Jesus later. We have 500, Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians 15, that over 500 brethren saw the resurrected Christ at one time. And then he appeared to James and he appeared to Peter. And then Paul says he appeared to me. So all of these people are, are eyewitnesses. The eyewitness testimonies are powerful if we take that seriously these days, eyewitness testimony, which of course we should. But what I really want to focus on is more Jesus and his dealings with his struggling apostle, Thomas. And so I want you to notice, first of all, how Jesus responded to Thomas's doubt. And what I want you to notice is first the negative. Notice that Jesus didn't threaten him, punish him, or banish him. And that's what I was saying earlier. You know, other religious systems are going to threaten, punish, banish, whatever. You know, you're done. You, you don't ask these questions. You, you just believe this. But Jesus does not do any of those things with Thomas. What does he do? Jesus actually answers in the very way that Thomas wanted to be answered on this 
particular issue. Remember what Thomas said there in verse 25? Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. What happens, verse 27, then Jesus, as he appeared in the room, he said to Thomas, this is eight days later, reach your finger here, look at my hands, reach your hand here, put it into my side, do not be unbelieving, but believing. I think it is just so interesting that Jesus gives to Thomas the very evidence that he was asking for. The very evidence. Thomas says, I'm not gonna believe unless I can put my hand there. Jesus says, Thomas, come and do this. And you see, what this tells us is that the Lord knows exactly what each of us needs to overcome our doubts, and he gives us what we need. He gives us what we need. Now, just like Thomas, he had a need because of who he was. He had a need. No, I got, I got to see this. I got to touch Jesus. And, and Jesus met him right there. And maybe today you're that person. Maybe you're that doubter. Maybe you've come in plagued by doubt. God has spoken and he's promised things, but you just can't see how they're ever going to come to pass. But the Lord is saying to you, trust me, believe me. And he's giving you the thing that you need. And maybe it's what I'm saying here today. Maybe that's the very thing that you need for God to remind you. But we see this so beautifully with Jesus and his dealings with Thomas. Now, Thomas, of course, that's it. That's what he needed. His confession, my Lord and my God. So it's all cleared up now. Thomas is certain. Now, Thomas, of course, you know, felt this way before, but the crucifixion stumbled him. But now he knows that Jesus has risen from the dead. So he knows that Jesus is his Lord and his God. But Notice that the Lord himself doesn't totally let him off the hook here. He says, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, of course, did you know there's a blessing upon you just naturally? Because you have never seen Jesus but you believed. So there, there's just a blessing upon us who have not seen and yet, and yet we have believed. But as I said earlier, God doesn't call us to take a blind leap of faith, but know this, he does require that we have an exercise faith. Faith is essential. God is never gonna give you 100% certainty on anything. He won't. Because if he did, you would not have to exercise faith. So there's always going to be some amount of faith. But again, it's like with, with the Christian faith itself, the bigger picture of just the, you know, the, the message of the gospel. It's not blind faith. God's not saying, don't investigate this. Don't look into it. Don't just believe it. No, he says, come and let us reason. Do your inquiry. Do your study. Do your research. He calls us to do that. But there's always going to be that component of faith. Now, back to Thomas. Between the promises of Scripture and his own experience, 
Thomas already had all the evidence he needed. Jesus graciously gave him more. Thomas had all the evidence he needed, right? I mean, if the guys around him, they, they all had the same evidence. They were like, we saw the Lord. He's risen. Thomas is like, I don't believe it. I don't believe you guys. I don't believe any of this stuff. Well, he should have. They all had the scriptures. They had the promises of God. My goodness, they'd been with Jesus for three years. Thomas had seen Jesus raise people from the dead. He'd seen those miracles and all of those things. He'd heard what Jesus taught. Thomas had all that he needed, but Jesus graciously gave him more. And this is where I want to go back and just say again, God knows what we need. And Thomas, remember his personality, he's a different personality than these guys. And God knows that about him. So Jesus is going to give Thomas a little more. Not that he needed it in one sense, but in another sense he did because of, because of his personality. And, and, you know, God knows you, and he knows that you are not like the person next to you necessarily. And the same thing that, you know, convinces them or ministers to them might not necessarily be the thing that convinces you or ministers to you. So God knows your uniqueness. He knows your individuality. And it's based on those things that he graciously helps us. I think that is so wonderful. You know, there is a point where the Lord is going to give everything that's needed and then he's going to require faith. He's going to require faith. You know, a lot of times, if not most of the time, when a person has all of the facts but still is resistant, it's no longer, it's not really about the facts anymore. You know what it's really about? It's really about control. It's really about the control of one's life. Because what you're doing, what I'm doing when I surrender to Jesus Christ is I'm not just merely giving intellectual assent to his you know, the validity of these claims, I am actually putting myself under his lordship. I am relinquishing the control over my own life and I'm giving it to him. That's the conflict. That's the rub. There have been many, many people that have come to the point of being intellectually convinced that Jesus is who he claimed to be and who the Bible says he is, but that hasn't led them immediately to surrender to him because at that point they realize, oh no, somebody else is going to be in charge of my life. I don't like that. I don't want that. None of us like to be told what to do. And God, guess what? He's going to tell you what to do. And he's going to tell you what not to do. And that's where the challenge comes in. Because we want to be our own Lord. We want, to, we want to call the shots. But no, we can't. So there comes that place where God requires that we take that step of faith and we be no longer unbelieving, but believing. And so today, some of you are in that place where like Thomas, you believe, but you've, you've struggled with unbelief. And the Lord is giving you what you need. And now he's saying, no longer be unbelieving, but believing. Some, some of you have actually been under attack by the enemy and you haven't even known it. You're, you're not really doubting as much as you're being tempted to doubt. 
How do you know the difference? Well, the person who's doubting in the truest sense is the person who's taking that wrong information and starting to live according to it. The person who is not doubting in the truest sense is the person who maybe you're, you're plagued even by these thoughts, but yet you're not letting that determine your behavior. You're just saying, no, I, I know that that, even though you know, all of these doubts and questions and things are here, I, I'm not letting that control me. So recognize that that's, that's the work of the enemy. And Paul said, as I think we said earlier, remember he said, in regard to these fiery darts of the wicked one, he said, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. It's through the word of God. And we take the word of God and we put it up against that temptation to doubt that's coming. We put up the truth of God against that. And that's how we we resist. That's how we overcome those things. But maybe today also, maybe you're here and you're, you're more in the category of the person who has, has not believed in Jesus. You wouldn't say that you are a follower of Jesus today. And you might also say that, you know, all of these things about the Christian faith and these claims about who Jesus is and his miracles and his virgin birth and his death and resurrection, all of this stuff, you, you, you doubt that that is true. Well, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Take up the challenge. You doubt us true? Search it out. And you're here today, not by accident. You're here today so you could be challenged to rethink your position. There's all the information you'll ever need is is at your fingertips to find out that these things are indeed true. And God wants to show himself to you. And he wants you to know that these are the facts of history. These are the facts of life. These are the things that life and death hinge upon. And so it's not the kind of thing that you want to just hear about and then dismiss it. You know, this is the thing you want to make sure you did all of your homework on because there's a coming day that we all are going to face when we're going to have to answer for these things. And Paul, the apostle, said that very thing on that day there in Athens at Mars Hill with the the philosophers there before him. He said, God has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. He therefore calls all people to repentance And he has shown us the man by which he will judge the world. And he showed us who it is by raising that man from the dead. So Paul says, God commands all people everywhere to repent. And he's going to judge everybody. And he raised Jesus from the dead so we could know for sure that there is a judgment day coming and that Jesus himself is the judge. So that is the very thing that you do not want to dismiss without making sure you have really thoroughly investigated. And so you got honest doubts. The Lord says, let's talk about it. And he will convince you if you 
want to be convinced. Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Confronting Jesus, Nine Encounters with the Hero of the Gospels by Rebecca McLaughlin. In our current climate of social injustice and sexual ethics, many today do not believe that Jesus has any relevance for today's culture. But what exactly does Jesus say about social injustice and sexual ethics? And in a world filled with moral atrocities, have you ever wondered what it means when people say that God is love? What does Jesus' love actually look like in everyday life in the 21st century? If you've ever wrestled with any of these questions or know someone who wants to know who Jesus is, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book Confronting Jesus, Nine Encounters with the Hero of the Gospels by Rebecca McLaughlin is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian. As we continue our series, Jesus Encounters. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.